Welcome to Three in a Crowd, the podcast all about creativity, mental health, social change and how they interact. My name is Banda Canton and I'm an artist, facilitator and researcher. Each week I'll be talking to people using creative and artistic ways to change the way we think. Today I'm speaking to a woman whose creativity leaves me absolutely astounded. I get goosebumps just thinking about the conversation we're about to have. I don't think I've ever met a genuine explorer before, and I have been following her journey with absolute fascination. In 2017, Elise embarked on the most incredible adventure, travelling across the Himalayas. But, not quite like glamping, she has been doing this without any modern equipment at all. In 2019, she undertook her second adventure in the Scottish mountains, and I hear on the grapevine she's planning a third. Elise Wortley is certainly a woman with altitude. But before we meet her, here's a clip of Elise reading the words of the remarkable Nan Shepherd. Often the mountain gives itself most completely when I have no destination, when I reach nowhere in particular but have gone out merely to be with the mountain as one visits a friend with no intention but to be with him. Walking thus, hour after hour, the senses keyed, one walks the flesh transparent, but no metaphor, transparent or light as air is adequate. The body is not made negligible, but paramount. Flesh is not annihilated, but fulfilled. One is not bodiless, but essential body. How can I number the worlds to which the eye gives me entry? The world of light, of colour, of shape, of shadow, of mathematical precision in the snowflake, the ice formation, the quartz crystal, the patterns of stamen and petal, of rhythm in the fluid curve and plunging line of the mountain faces. Why some blocks of stone hacked into violent and tortured shapes should so profoundly tranquilise the mind, I do not know. Perhaps the eye imposes its own rhythm on what is only a confusion. One has to look creatively to see this mass of rock as more than jag and pinnacle, as beauty. Else why did men for so many centuries think mountains repulsive? A certain kind of consciousness interacts with the mountain, forms to create this sense of beauty. Yet the forms must be there for the eye to see. And forms of a certain distinction, mere dollops won't do it. It is, with all creation, matter impregnated with mind. But the resultant issue is a living spirit, a glow in the consciousness that perishes when the glow is dead. It is something snatched from non-being, that shadow which creeps in on us continuously and can be held off by continuous creative act. So, simply to look on anything, such as a mountain, with the love that penetrates to its essence, is to widen the domain of being and the vastness of non-being. Man has no other reason for his existence.
wow, I feel incredibly zen and calm. Elise, welcome to Three in a Crowd. How are you doing? Hi, Vanda. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Yeah, kind of coming out of lockdown now. So, yeah, it's all good. All good over here. Where are you at at the moment? You're in London? In London, yeah. How are things over there at the moment? Where are you at in terms of the the lockdown? Um, Kind of able to go out and about? Yeah, you can go out. The pubs are sort of open again. So, yeah, it's kind of getting back to normal, which is quite funny because... I sort of lost, I lost my job at the beginning of lockdown. So I've kind of been dreading this time, you know, and you're like, oh, mm. sort of lockdown's going to end. Everyone's going to get back to normal. But actually, it's all right. So, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been quite interesting. What is your normal? Uh, so I worked in adventure travel, mm. uh, which is kind of where all this, st- well, it started way before that, but it's kind of what spurred me on and kind of gave me that push to kind of deal all this which we're going to discuss in a minute but yeah so obviously the travel world is a bit of a mess um but no it's oh, all course. good I'm I didn't even think of positive. that um so yeah yeah it's all good <laughs> amazing I mean that definitely makes sense um and it's interesting as well you've you've already mentioned this I mean you started your first adventure in 2017 in terms of the the Himalayas right yeah. but I've got a feeling that is not the beginning of the story, as you mentioned. No. So tell me where this all began. So, yeah, it's quite a long story, actually. So I read a book. My mum gave me this book when I was about 16. And it's by, it was by a woman called Alexandra David Neal. And I'd never heard of her before. But she was an explorer. Um, and she explored a lot sort of in the sort of early 1900s. And this book just like really captivated me. It's it's amazing. She was the first woman, Western woman, to get into Lhasa, which is the capital of Tibet. And um, she's the first Western woman to meet the Dalai Lama. And she basically just left her life, left her life in about 1914 in Europe and just traveled throughout Asia for 14 years. And it's just the most incredible story and it always just stayed with me, like what she'd done and sort of the strength she must have had to just leave everything behind. And obviously she didn't have what we have today, you know, like phones and tech. So if we go, say we go to India, we can kind of see what it's going to be like. You can book your pickup, you know, you can, you know exactly where you're going to go, when you're going to get there. But back then, like, she didn't have any of that. So it really sort of captivated me how she could just get on a boat go and just sort of never come back and not know what was going to be the other end wow (laughs) do you know what is quite funny though if you were reading this book at 16 now we went to college together yeah we did (laughs) I'm thinking I can just imagine these two 16 year old college girls probably in the smoker's corner reading these quite formative books. Although having said that, I'm not sure if I was exactly reading books when I was 16 and no. certainly not ones that were leading me to that many adventures. But it's, uh, it's quite a funny thought. That's the weird thing as well, because I don't remember reading it. Like, I know I read it, but when you say that, like being at college and whatever we used to get up to in the middle of Colchester <laughs> when we were 16... It does feel quite far away from that. Um, But yeah, this book's always been in the back of my mind and it's always had a place in my heart. Um, And yeah, so it all started from that, really. Um, Mm. And I always had this idea 
that, I wanted to follow in Alexandra's footsteps um, in some way, but I didn't really know how to do it or what way I'd do it. And that that idea kind of stayed in the back of my mind for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, and then I just sort of got on with life, I suppose, for another 10, 15 years, however long it was. And then it sort of all came back again in the last two years. What What kind of... Did anything in particular happen to urge you towards this journey or what changed? Yeah, I think like I'd always wanted to do it. And then uh, we were talking about this before and um, I actually got sort of after college and I went to uni, I, I started getting really bad sort of anxiety attacks, but they became sort of I couldn't really deal with it at all. Um, so I kind of had to stop going to lots of lectures. Like I, I couldn't really leave the house. Like it got really, really bad. Um, and I kind of went back to this book, you know, I kind of dug it out and I thought, God, like, I just need to feel a bit more like how she felt. And I was reading it on and off, like all through my twenties, because I was feeling bad for nearly like 10 years. And then I started feeling, well, like through like medication and a lot of work, I started feeling better. And I sort of thought, actually, maybe like, maybe I could do this. And I was in a position, I'd managed to go back to work and I was working at a travel company. So I was kind of in this position where I had access to someone who could show me, you know, like the walking route and where she went. And I slowly sort of started piecing it all together and thinking, oh, like, I could actually do it. You know, I could follow in her footsteps. Um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, there's a bit of a twist with it because... I I kind of really wanted to feel how she felt, you know, like really put myself in that position and see, you know, like how she felt, even to the smallest things like the weather or what she did at night time to entertain herself. So I thought the only way I can do that is if I take only what she had at the time. So I didn't have any modern stuff. So I just had like a yak wool coat, a wooden backpack that I made myself out of a chair an old tent, you know, like three pots and pans, some chopsticks, like things like that. How? And, and hang I, on yeah. a second. How do you make a backpack out of a chair? Oh, I did, did you it say? actually myself. So I was looking online at all these old backpacks um, from like the early 1900s, and they were like hundreds of pounds, these vintage things. But I noticed that really they were all just curved like a chair around the back. So I was actually walking down the high street in Brixton, and I found this old chair. So I just brought it home chop the legs off and then reattach them kind of like so they were sticking out so a basket could go in it and then attach the ropes and I basically had what I'd been looking on eBay that was like hundreds of pounds but it was just something I made myself so it actually just worked a, a standard weekend in Brixton then <laughs> yeah. making a, a backpack out yeah. of a chair I love it very definitely creative I mean what's interesting as well though is that in terms of anxiety one might imagine that having that experience would make somebody even less likely to then do such a, a massive, huge adventure. Um, so how did you kind of grapple with that? Why? I mean, because it, it's one thing to be inspired and to have these ideas and to read these amazing authors and journeys and stories, but it's quite another to actually do it. Yeah, I mean, it took a long time to get to that stage where I could, probably like 10 years. So I'm nearly 31 now. So it all sort of started for me when I was 20. Um, 
Yeah, so it took a long time. And actually, I've always said it's, I tried all the CBT, I tried everything. So basically, my symptoms were I get so dizzy that I couldn't really look at things. So it was really physical for me. And then like my heart would beat a million miles an hour. I, the way I describe it is, say you're sort of either going for an interview or something more extreme, like maybe you're being robbed at knife point and your body goes into that sort of flight mode and you're constantly aware and your eyes are... I had that, but all the time. It was like constant. Um, so it's like a general anxiety disorder, they called it. And so it was really hard for me to... You know, I couldn't go to work at some point. So I went through over 10 years, kind of went through all the motions. Like the suit came, went on medication, came off it. And actually I found that on it, I am I go back to my old self. You know, I don't have that constant sort of fear or, I, you know, like it's just a weight on your shoulders the whole entire time. And it makes everything mm. really stressful. So I would say kind of without that medication, I, I wouldn't, been able to do it but I finally got into this point where I was like I just need to I, I can do it now like I felt normal in myself again um and yeah I just decided now's the time I mean obviously I'd get sort of really nervous about it, and I still do get nervous all the time but I can contain it a bit better now um and yeah I just sort of everything was sort of there and I had the money to do it because I've been saving um so yeah, and I just once I booked the flight, then I had no choice. So I just sort of <laughs> made myself do it, basically. What was it like booking the flight? I mean, what was your? Because I can imagine either it's like an anticlimax of like, okay, cool, I've just booked this flight, I'm going to do this massive yeah. thing, or it's sheer excitement, jumping around. I mean, how yeah. was? How did well, you feel after you booked because, it? Because I was working in travel, it's like, oh great, you booked a flight to India. You know, everyone books flights to India all the time. So it wasn't, I don't know, it didn't feel real until the day before we went. And actually there was so much organising because in India, especially the bit we went to, there's we needed six different visas and everything is difficult to organise, especially from the when you're in London, it's hard to organise it. Um, so, yeah, it was stressful kind of the day before we left with the stressful bit. And then it kind of continued for the entire, the entire trip. Um, but yeah, before when I was booking, it didn't feel, I guess it didn't feel real. So yeah, it wasn't, um, it was just sort of a, oh, I'll put this sort of moment. <laughs> Meh, another standard weekend another, in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in, to, in terms of the uh, the planning that you're doing as well, am I right that you, you kind of got together an all-female team? Yeah, yeah. So a big part of this, um, a big thing I say about these female explorers is that actually no one knows who they are. Like no one's ever heard of them. Uh, which is astonishing because they achieved just as much as their male counterparts at the time. Mm. Yeah, obviously back then women weren't taken seriously and all their writing, they all wrote so much, but it was never published. It was never sort of shouted about like like the men that were adventuring at the time. Um, Alexandra David Neal was a bit different because she was, during her later life, she did get a lot more famous. But then after she died, she sort of got forgotten about again so for me it was really important to kind of empower women while we were doing it because it's all about these women that have empowered me in many ways um and also throughout the Himalayas it's it's very much a man's world sort of guiding and um, being in the mountains and I knew there must be women somewhere who were mountain guides who could come along and like help us so I did I managed to find probably like the only 
mountain guide who was female in the area, Jangu, and she was just this most incredible woman. Um, and yeah, and then we decided to film it. So I got Emily along, who was um, filming and recording everything as well. So there's the three of us. Um, so yeah, it was it was great. But yeah, I managed. I mean, to... how long were you together for then? Because it, I'm assuming, so quite well. Yeah, it was a month. Um, sort of in yeah in the mountains and then sort of driving up to get there and stuff. Um, but we all got on like a house on I don't know it was just it just worked so well and all three of us were so different but we managed to because there were some pretty dark cold times <laughs> up mm. there um, and Jangu is just so calm and amazing like she's she's just yeah an incredible woman she's actually recently opened a homestay that she'd always dreamt of doing she kept talking about it while we we're in the mountains so she's of lecture descent and the lectures were um sort of the people who always lived in that part of Sikkim in the mountains but over the time they've been sort of driven out of their homes and they live in villages and they're very poor there's no job opportunities um so she has always championed them and she's now opened this homestay where lots of the lecture women work and they grow the food they cook all the food and it's really popular and she's just like so inspiring I mean she's a whole story in herself but yeah so through this as well I've just met people like her who they've changed the way I look at life and just yeah amazing really how it all came together and speaking of inspiring women as well I mean I think absolutely I would count you among the women that inspire me I mean it's just I remember seeing an article about what you're doing and I was like what what's (laughs) happening this is incredible I was just spellbound to be honest I think it's just I can't even imagine it though to just uh, it kind of in some ways sounds like my worst nightmare because I'm really <laughs> bad at camping and I always oh, seem to yeah. wee on my leg um which is just the standard when you're camping oh, yeah, I'm hoping toilet, that's not just yeah. me the toilet situation <laughs> was quite interesting yeah um but no it's good and actually not having the modern equipment I I thought it'd be hard and it was hard but that has also changed the way I mean, it sounds so sort of cliche, but especially when I was in Scotland and I was on my own for like nearly two weeks, and I didn't have anything. So I didn't have my phone. I didn't have, all I had was like a notepad and a pen. And to actually just sit there, just sit and do nothing. I had never done that before. So literally mm. just, I was just sitting there thinking and actually a little bit like lockdown, I started getting the same thoughts mm. like, because you, you're not, you've got nothing to distract you your brain kind of goes really deep to these memories. I kept having all these memories and going back to like things that happened to me and it's so therapeutic and I think you need, you know, everyone should do that, I feel like. They should just go with nothing and just sit, even if it's for a day, just sit with nothing. Um, And it's amazing what you start bringing up and thinking about. I mean, it's hard though, right? Uh, I definitely relate to that in the sense of I feel that's certainly something I've been experiencing through my version of the lockdown of, you know, not necessarily having as much work and not necessarily having my closest friends around and just being kind of stuck in the flat with my own thoughts. And to be honest, it was not comfortable at all. I think possibly necessary um, because I think you're right, like it's not often that we just switch off certainly from phones I find it I'm you know increasingly much better at taking some distance from social media or whatever but just to sit alone with me myself and I is not something I would 
probably volunteer to do to be honest um yeah. <laughs> I mean at home it's hard I mean I don't think I could do it at home but if you take yourself outside and you know, sit in the middle of the park or something yeah. it's different and it was different for me because I had things you know like I could make a fire or I could go to the stream and like wash my face you know like things like that and to be honest it took a few days to get into I couldn't sit still at, I was like what do I do like I need to do so I've got to do something but after a few days I just sort of realized mm, there's nothing to do so I'll just sit and write so I just did you take low. did you take any uh scrabble or anything no oh, wait you couldn't just play just scrabble on your own <laughs> my own just solo no, spelling I just, test I just wrote a lot and I draw so I drew a lot um of things as well and yeah after like a few days it was just yeah quite amazing actually thinking that's how people used to live because um, hmm. I get stressed out with my phone, especially during lockdown, actually. I've been putting it away because it it really stresses me out. Um, so, yeah, so I've kind of taken that away from the trips as well, where I'll give myself a bit of space from, I guess, modern things, and I'll sit and write or I've been reading a lot. Um, so that helps me a lot as well. So in terms of the writing, I know you have a blog and you're keeping people updated on some of the things that you were doing. And um, I know there was a, a photo of the quote-unquote modern equipment that you did take um which I was like wow how is she gonna survive with just that I mean can you tell us a little bit about what you did take yeah so they were different so when I went to India it was sort of 19 early 1900s so 1912-ish so I just took what she mentions in her book so there was like a yak fur hat so my mum actually littered me one out of yak wool which I took (laughs) um just like blankets um Cotton undergarments is all she writes in the book because obviously back then they don't mention underwear or they don't mention like periods or anything like that. So I just had to sort of get some cotton, what I thought were 1912 bras and pants, some wool, like woolen stuff. And then Himalayan, I found these Himalayan boots when I got to India. They were like these old mountain boots. So I wore those. And then Scotland was a bit different. It was sort of leather leather boots um lots of wool some old tweed I found on eBay <laughs> and then this headscarf that became quite iconic <laughs> um and yeah and then just in Scot- the Scotland one she actually wrote the book during the war uh, World War Two. so I just took what they would have been allowed as their rations so lots of sort of oats and vegetable like local vegetables and things like that um, so I ate kind of what they would have eaten as well. Oh, wow. Whole. I didn't realise that the, I mean, it makes sense that the food would be consistent with that as well. But I, I didn't, I didn't think about that at all. Yes. Did you have anything for kind of like home comforts or anything? Or was it, because it's, really it's very hardcore without. Yeah, it's really interesting researching these times. So the difference between, obviously it's, you know, quite a while, but between the early 1900s and like 1940, so much has happened. Like they had, Tampons in 1940, lip balm, lipstick, they had Vaseline, they had chocolate. So actually, it was very different what I could take on the second one. So there's a lot more comforts. Mm. Um, so yeah, I got through quite a lot of chocolate. <laughs> I bet. Uh, and yeah, so it was just really interesting. And researching the clothing, um, kind of 1940s Scottish style, what they would have had back then um so yeah it's it is pretty fascinating Mm. I mean what coming back to the um the 
origins or the struggle that you were having with your anxiety how do you feel if at all that these journeys that you've been on have they changed your anxiety like how how do you position yourself with that now it's a funny one I think over I think when I did the first one I had so much there were so many problems when we got there I was dealing with a lot that actually when I was on the ground doing it sort of getting all the visas and all these like things were going wrong I, I did really well. I was like, wow, like, I can't believe this is me. Someone who couldn't even say a word sometimes in like a social situation or I was like dealing with things and I was like being the leader. I was like, this is great. And I thought when I got home, I'd sort of carry that on. But very strangely, I got back and I just sort of crumbled. I just sort of went really inward, kind of back to my old ways. I was constantly nervous. Everything overwhelmed me. So it was weird. And then that knocked me back because I thought, oh, well, I thought when I was out there, this has changed me. Like, I'm super confident now. I'm doing all this stuff. Um, yeah. And then over, I, I still think I'm, I'm definitely a lot more. I think it takes time. So it's been like two and a half years since I did that first one. And actually, I think it has made me a lot more confident, like talking to people, doing things like this, like this podcast would have terrified me before but because I've done quite a few of them now like I I'm getting better at it so it's just time I think so they've definitely changed the way I think about a lot of things and I guess my confidence but yeah it didn't happen straight away do you know what's really interesting though is I'm just um kind of relating it to myself and one of the things that I find is that certain social situations I can't deal with like really quite bizarre ones maybe um like ordering a coffee in a cafe for some reason it just freaks me out um or certain supermarkets can't deal um but if you put me in quite a high intensity situation I tend to thrive a lot more and I I can't get to the bottom of what that is because I know so many people that have really struggled with anxiety and its various manifestations but yet are also simultaneously able to do things that seem so anxiety inducing and um, what are your thoughts on that like why how it's funny you say that because I have these little things or my friends like oh it's one of your little things but it's like I struggle going into like even if I really want a sandwich or something there's certain places like I just won't do it I'll be like no I can't get like you're totally right that's so funny because I've never really heard anyone else say that because I used to get the classic you know I couldn't get on the tube I couldn't I once got stuck on the bus basically because my legs were shaking so much like I just couldn't get off so I was like stuck on this bus and that kind of really messed me up about buses (laughs) so that's kind of what lots of people get but then yeah the little things like that but I think for me it's so overwhelming doing these things and you go that my brain is so consumed by being there and I've got to get to this point today and I've got to do that today and I'm loving it. And then sometimes the weather will change and it'll be horrible and I'm freezing cold. But actually, all I'm thinking about in that moment is being freezing cold or trying to get to the next mm. place or what I'm going to eat for dinner. And that really helps me because that means my brain isn't sort of my mind's not going to all these other places. Um, mm. I guess it's a bit like I do, I do quite a lot of surfing and it's a bit like that. It's when you're surfing, you're all you think about is surfing and the waves and the sea and it's really good for your mental health because it it kind of completely clears your brain of other things and I think that's what these trips do 
because um, mm. once you're there you're just there and you have to deal with it um, do you think it's a bit like exposure therapy because I'm definitely would relate to the when you're talking about I'm actually quite love a bus um for some reason I'm very okay in the bus except particular seats otherwise I do get anxious but I also you know in my lifetime have struggled with agoraphobia to quite a intense degree of like just not being able to leave my house at all and then I remember one day just being like I'm just going to walk down the street that scares me the most and I was genuinely terrified like you were saying it was the fight flight freeze kind of thing and as if it was this you know life-threatening event but once I had done it it was no longer a threat and as I was walking down that street, in some ways, I was so hyper vigilant and so aware of what I was doing. I was concentrating on everything that was scary. But once I did that, it kind of dissipated. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, like absolutely. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit kind of a weird of, one. It's it's hard because when you feel that bad, like I remember how bad I used to feel like when I was scared to go out of the house, and it, it sounds, you know, like oh, just go out of the house. But when you're generally in that situation you know, I, you can't do it. And it's interesting for for me thinking that, because if I'd felt like that the day before going on this trip, I don't think I'd have been able to go. Or like, if I'd felt like that on the trip, I wouldn't have been able to do anything. But for some reason, it just didn't happen. I just Mm. didn't. It was weird. It's, It's an odd thing. But also, the medication that I take has completely changed my life. And I do, I used to beat myself up a bit, because I'd sort of be like, oh, but it's not me really doing this. It's the medication, you know, it's, it's that that sort of made me able to do this. I haven't overcome anything. But over time, I'm like, that is so harsh on myself. You know, it just makes me back to who I was, you know. So, like, I, I always talk, because when I first went on it, it seemed to be quite a bad thing. You know, people be like, oh, you want to get off that stuff. It's, a di-, you know, all, all this and that. But I'm actually now quite, you know, I'm happy to talk about it openly and say that that was, for me, I think, what enabled me to do this as well um and it's helped me so much and made my life normal again um but that's helped me but yeah it's 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 those little steps I guess isn't it doing one thing and the next Hmm. and next and yeah I mean just coming back to the the medication side of things as well I mean I I hear you on that I think there's a lot of stigma and a lot of kind of um rhetoric around oh, well it's a temporary thing and it, yeah. it's not forever but why because if you I mean I don't really I'm not a big fan of comparing mental health to physical health I don't I'm a bit uncomfortable with it for some reason but you know if you had a uh an injured body part you wouldn't be like well you can't take the medication because it's not it's not you and you know it's not it's not natural enough it's not a natural healing like it, it's such a a massive stigma at the moment and it's just I don't even know how we begin to tackle that I mean possibly by talking about it I think that that that's the way of kind of building awareness about it and you know promoting the fact that it's people's choices it's our bodies so it's up to us what we decide to do with that um so it I definitely related to that a lot the other thing that was interesting that I don't know much about is whilst you were away you were also fundraising um so tell us a bit about the charity that you were supporting and why you chose them yeah so I thought because it's quite a big thing we may as well try and like raise a bit of money with it as well so there were women's charities that we supported and actually I'd known of this charity in Nepal that um they're called Freedom Kit Bags um and they basically provide um like period kit bags to young women and girls in rural situations um 
and those who don't have the money to support themselves. And it's amazing because you never know, like these in Nepal, like when girls are on their period, they can't go to school for a week, um, they miss out on education, and that all builds up and builds up, and eventually they drop out of school. And just these simple like hacks just change lives. Um, and they're like reusable and environmentally friendly. So we decided to support them um, because, yeah, periods were quite a big talk, actually, when we were on this trip, because like we're in the mountains for a month. Like, obviously, it's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it's quite important to talk about that as well. Um, yeah. And raise a bit of money. And then the Scotland one, we supported Scottish Women's Aid. Um, I had a friend who was supported by them when he was younger. Um, so they supported his mum and like took him on holiday. So I knew like all the good stuff that they did. So we decided to support them um, for that one as well. Um, so that's an important part as well for me, mm. uh, being able to raise some money. Amazing. So there's a real essence of uh, women's empowerment in in all of this where is that kind of coming from I mean because for some in my head I was kind of thinking well why do we even talk about why are you interested in empowering other women because it in some ways it kind of should be obvious right like of course you'd want to empower other women but at the same time I do think it's worth unpacking a little bit like what drives you to support women's aid and and women's organizations and charities and also an all-female team yeah for me it was it all stems back to these female explorers and just the way that they inspired me to sort of think differently and do my life as, you know, do these things. It started with me kind of wanting to other people to like experience that and know about these women, but then it sort of led into, into other things. So it was important to have an all female team. And then just because I know, especially in the sort of travel world, especially in India, women are very underrepresented in that area but there's so many women who want to do it and it shouldn't be the case that they should, you know, they should, for a lot of social reasons that Jangu was telling me all about women don't do that job, but that, but because of her, she now has um, some girls who she's training to be mountain guides. And so it is slowly changing. And I just wanted to support, you know, people like her as well, because here it's very normal for women to go on a walk in the mountains, but across Asia, especially India, that's not normal, but, so she's, you know, it's. I just wanted to kind of shine a light on things like that. And then I guess supporting the women's charities, it's it's just um, something that's quite close to my heart, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know, really. <laughs> it's a hard question. It's that you can't really think about it. Yeah, yeah but it, is, it is, though, because it's, you know, I'm definitely um, would want to support other women, women artists, women's organisations. And then when I sit back and think about it, I mean, I have some idea about where that comes from, but it isn't necessarily something that we talk about in terms of the motivation. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of interesting. Um, But then, like I said, perhaps it should just kind of be obvious. Yeah, I think they fitted in, like those charities fitted in sort of to what I was doing as well. And I I just, yeah, I guess I'd sort of, I knew the, um, a lot of people who'd worked with, freedom kit bags and then obviously I knew Scotch Women's Aid so I just wanted to yeah I guess like help in some way um because you know it's a privilege to be able to go and do these things especially from you know even just having a passport where I can go to Indy you know that's such Mm. a privilege so it's important to like recognize that I think as well 
have you had much feedback or any kind of women reaching out and and talking about how they've um interpreted what you've been doing or or how it made them feel whether it supported them at all yeah it's been amazing actually that's another amazing thing about this project is the amount of people that I've ended up sort of becoming friends with and like meeting and people have messaged and so for because I've always said like you don't have to go and like go and go to India in a yak ball coat you know to like have, have an adventure or do something that pushes your boundaries like even like I was saying like getting on a bus can push your boundaries it's more about just giving people that you know that sort of reassurance that they can do it and I think like I was reading that book and I was seeing like Alexandra did this which means I can do it and I think when people see other especially women see other women doing something they're like oh then I can do that too I can try something similar so that was quite important um I think that's sort of yeah what became of it I don't really know what I set with what intention I set out with but yeah and then lots of people have contacted just saying um that they've gone for a walk or they've you know they they've always had something I had this one woman who'd read a book when she was younger. It was about, I can't even remember the name of the woman, but she'd ridden across the middle of England on a horse or something. And she was like, I always wanted to do that. And I think I'm going to do it now. <laughs> so, wow. It is a bit of a mad idea. Like when I first said to people, oh, I'm going to do it with no modern equipment, everyone was like, oh, God, really? Um, it was a bit of a mad idea. And then it just proved that you can just do the mad ideas. Just do it. <laughs> I mean, it- funny though when you're saying like well you know anyone can walk up a mountain it's not as unique here and I'm thinking yeah but not in a yak coat no, with a bar of chocolate and uh you know your backpack made out of a chair yeah. I think that's not quite the norm um, I mean like you know we have access to it you can do it if you want that sort of thing but yeah no it's not quite the norm <laughs> no I mean I quite like the sound of a, a yak hat very itchy. yak hat yeah yeah yak hat <laughs> I mean it sounds great as well I like it yak hat it could be the new trend um, <laughs> one of the questions that I wanted to ask you and I don't know if this is uncomfortable but since uh recording this podcast I'm really interested in how people identify themselves so would you call yourself an explorer so that's kind of what people have called me but it's weird in my head because I see the women I'm following as the explorers. I'm just like tagging along. I don't know. I, I think I always put myself down a bit and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not like they did the hard work. They, they did this back in the day and they've inspired me to do it. I'm basically just nicking their idea. You know? But it's weird. Other people have started calling me an explorer and I never called myself that. But now I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I can't like that. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely yeah. a good title. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah but I'm one of those people it's always I've done one like I did the indie one and I was like I just need to do the next one and I never kind of sit back and reflect you know like oh I did that that's pretty great and maybe I am an explorer you know like that sort of thing I just people seem to put things on me and then I just take it but yeah it's funny yeah I guess I'm an explorer (laughs) I would own that one for sure I mean I'm definitely not an explorer but I think it it sounds great (laughs) And I hear on the grapevine that there is a third journey being planned. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had a lot of plans to go to Iran um, and do Freya Stark, who's this amazing woman, uh, uh, woman, woman. Um, 
but Iran's quite difficult at the moment for many, many, many reasons. I think the whole world sort of is. So I'm thinking now maybe I'll have to do another one closer to home. Because there's so, like Nan Shepherd, there's a lot of women actually from the UK or like around here that back in the day were absolutely amazing, incredible. Um, I've also been researching lots of black female explorers because they're, when I first started researching this, I realised that they were left out of all the books. You know, there was nothing about them online. So I've been doing lots of looking into that and there's some pretty amazing ones. Um, so yeah, I've been writing quite a bit about them and I think maybe for the next one, you might have to try and follow one of their footsteps. But it depends sort of how much the world opens up and where we mm. can go next, I suppose. Um, how, do you, how do you even choose like who... There's some that really resonate with me um, that I'm just really passionate about just because of what they achieved. Um, some are just like super cool, these amazing, you know, you, there are some warrior queens, like African warrior queens from like 100 BC, not 100 BC, like sometime around them. And I just think, wouldn't that be amazing to go back that far and literally have what they had? And they were sort of conquering a whole like, areas of Africa like it's amazing so maybe something like that I don't know mm. <laughs> there's literally so many I've got a list of hundreds so but with with some of these women as well like thinking about Nan Shepherd for example like do you know much about I mean presumably they talk about it in their in their books but I mean what was driving them like where where was it coming from and I think a lot of them that's a good question a lot of them just had this need and want to explore and do not live the conventional life I know Alexandra David Neal she just hated the idea of being at home not going anywhere she just dreamt of doing all the stuff and Nan Shepherd's interesting actually because she was a writer she's most famous for her writing really but her books especially The Living Mountain which is the book that I kind of followed the footsteps of when she wrote that in the late 1940s, it was kind of disregarded and she just put it in a drawer for 30 years and it wasn't published and then she kind of got it back out and it was eventually published. But now it's sort of like a literary masterpiece. And um, I think they were all just kind of fighting their own little battles to get recognised. And especially because they were women, they just weren't, you know, they just weren't taken seriously. Um, so I think that was their sort of motivation. Um, they just wanted to be equal. Um, which is really, it's really fascinating once you start sort of delving into it. And I only knew a few, you know, female explorers when I started this. And now that I've just found so many, it's just, it's incredible really how many women there were back then doing just sort of groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. I mean, even as you're talking, I was, I was also thinking absolutely completely groundbreaking and I definitely want to check out some of this work because it, it sounds very inspiring at the same time there is something to be said about the fact that you're doing it now mm. because I wonder what it would have felt like I mean irrespective of the time or the era it would have been a big uh, challenge but for you to do this whilst having grown up in a you know contemporary Essex uh, college with a smoking area and, and me in the corner whatever do you know what I mean and then to to do this in contradiction in some ways to everything you've known adds the whole other layer of of courage I think and of confronting something much bigger than the physical act that you're doing 
Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And yeah, it's funny when you talk about cook because I never really thought I love that smoking area. I was out there every same, morning. Same. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? They're like that we even had a smoking area at college. I can't Do you believe know what it is. I never thought of that. Yeah. And to actually yeah, it's just removing myself, I suppose, from all modern day life, which is it is crazy, but I think really I just didn't want these women to be forgotten because they mm. are sort of slowly going that way. Um and that's sort of what led me to it. But then all these other things like that came, you know, like a girl growing up in Essex always had like everything, like phones, makeup, all this stuff to have that sun, you know, like wiped away and gone. Not that I was ever that sort of into makeup or whatever, it's just an example. But yeah, like it's it is interesting. It's it's kind of mind, but there's so many sort of levels to this. A hundred percent. I feel quite inspired myself. I mean, I'm thinking about where could I go? I mean, if, if somebody was interested in starting, not necessarily going without any modern equipment, but if people were interested in exploring natural walking or trekking or hiking, or whatever, where would you suggest that people would start? It depends. So... There's actually amazing places in the UK. Like, I'd actually never been to Scotland before, like, before I did the Nan Shepherd one. And I literally just got the train from London to Scotland, and then I was there the next day. It was amazing. But I couldn't believe I'd never been there. And I think we always look, oh, we've got to go here, we've got to go here on the day. But actually, the UK is pretty amazing. And in London, there's you can walk along the canal. Like, you can do the whole, like, mm. river walk, which is pretty great. And Wales is amazing. Um... And you can get cheap train fares like, if you book a bit in advance. But, yeah, I think there's more closer to home. There's loads of great blogs uh, on the internet. So wherever you are, you just put good walks near me and loads come up. So, yeah, it's it's quite accessible for us in the UK anyway, which is which is great. Um, yeah, it's just like being out in nature, I suppose. It's, it's definitely changed. I always say the Nan Shepherd one, really, it just rained. Like, it rained and rained and rained. And nothing was that waterproof for me. So I actually had a pretty miserable, like, six days to start. Yeah, I wouldn't suggest doing it in old stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's just... But then because I got rained on for, like, six days, I now have this sort of, like, appreciation for rain. Like, I don't mind it anymore. Like, if I look out the window and it's raining, I'm like, wow, oh, it's raining. Not like, oh, God, it's raining. I'll just go out in it, like, without an umbrella and just get wet. And I'm like, it's fine. So it's, yeah, I think it's... um yeah it's 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 great for us in the UK because it's kind of accessible Hmm. I mean I feel I feel like this story is is one of overcoming adversity of gratitude of courage like you said it has has so many layers and to move on to a question which could or could not have layers depending on how you feel, it is time for What's the Three? The variation of a question that I'm asking everyone. And today I want to inquire, what are three things that you dream about regularly? So I'm thinking dreaming as in unconscious, asleep. Mine, when I was thinking about this, I was like, what am I actually willing to share? Because I definitely do not have the best sleep but one thing I have noticed I dream about really regularly like seriously quite regularly is dinosaur eggs <laughs> why yeah, I odd. do not know I do quite like a dinosaur but I just have these dreams that I'm sitting on dinosaur egg. I can see it very vividly in my head as I'm talking about it I'm not really sure where that comes from but what are your 
three things that you dream about regularly yeah. or that you dream about in the mountains? Wow. The mountains, actually, you have pretty crazy dreams because it's. I always find if I'm in a new situation or I remember when I first went to uni, I was having the most insane dream. And it's a bit through lockdown I've had it as well. But I have like three dreams that I have a lot. Um, and yeah, none of them are that. Not, I never dream nice things. Like I'm never in a field eating strawberries and sun. So <laughs> I'm always, I think it is, again, it's like that anxiety trying to come out. So I dream quite a classic one, which is my teeth. But it used to be like where, you know, your teeth kind of fall out. Or But mine is because I used, basically I used to grind my teeth so much when I was nervous. that They've kind of all worn down. But luckily I'm veggie, so it's fine. <laughs> I don't, don't need to chew that meat. But they've all worn down and I have dreams where I'm sort of grinding them so hard that I'm kind of doing it with my hands at the same time. Now, I'm trying to like wrench my drawer open with my hands, but it's just not opening. And I'm mm. just there like, which I think is maybe quite a common sort of anxious dream. Um, but then I kind of wake up and it's almost like it was real. So it's, and then halfway through the day, I'm like, oh, did that? Did that? Oh, no, I don't think that did happen. <laughs> Do you ever get... have those dreams when you? So I remember one when I uh, dreamt that my ex-partner didn't save me from a zombie apocalypse, and I was legit angry with them <laughs> for like a substantial amount of time. Yeah. But now you didn't save me from the zombies. I'm not. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> yeah, you it's it's hard. So I used to have very mundane, like, but dreams where I sort of move something, and I say I'd go and clean my teeth or something. But then I'd wake up and I'd be like, I've already cleaned my teeth. They're like very boring dreams, but. No, they've definitely got more interesting. Um, and then I always dream about like the house I grew up in, um, which I think again is quite common. But it's always weird things happen, like I've ruined, I've ruined the room, or I've smashed down something, or or like someone weirds there. And there's always weird people hanging around in my dreams. <laughs> I don't know who they are. Um, so yeah, that would be the second one. That's quite reoccurring. And then I have like a third reoccurring one. It's not, not like, it's weird. It's, it's always like I haven't, I'm either at school or I'm at uni or something and haven't done what I was supposed to do. And it's the day that, like, it, it's meant to be done. And it's this horrible dream, but then weird things kind of happen as well. Like, there's always something horrible, like, someone's not here because, like, something awful's happened to them and then maybe I was a part of that. Like, just all these weird sort of, yeah. So, yeah, I don't really dream nice things. Or if I do, I know I don't remember them. I only remember mm. like them. But they're all looking. I had to write all my dreams down once and actually looking at them all. It's all sort of anxiety. It's just anxiety, I think. Was, was that for therapy, doing a dream diary? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I've done that. I've had lots of like different, I've done lots of different stuff. Like went sort of therapy, different things like cbt and then i went on this course this different sort of mind course and i've done like over the last 10 years done all this stuff um but yeah my dreams still seem to be quite um yeah, anxious but i think didn't they say your dreams are like your sort of body getting rid of things and like dealing with stuff so yeah <laughs> but no dinosaur eggs yeah i was just thinking dinosaur eggs teeth <laughs> Lots of uh, interesting things going on in our, our brains when they're asleep. <laughs> that rhymed as well, which was uh, quite a nice uh, segue into. Uh, where can people find out more about you? What's your, your website, your Instagram? Yeah, so I put lots on my Instagram. So that's at woman uh, underscore with underscore altitude. 
Um, and then I've been trying to keep up with my blog posts. Um, so I have done quite, a, I've done a few during lockdown. So that's www.womenwithoutitude.com. Um, and that's kind of it. So I put most stuff on those two. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do something, a new one soon. And we're also making a film out of our first trip. Um, so that's nearly done. So it's all been, again, like it's an all-female team. So we've made this whole film ourselves because after talking to Emily who's sort of in the film world kind of realized that actually that's another area where especially in sort of um when you're on set and stuff Emily was telling me about how you know it's very much it's still kind of a man's world in lots of ways so we've kept the whole film team female and yeah hopefully that will be it's like a documentary about the first trip so we're hoping that that will be done in the next few weeks um in the next few weeks we'll be able to share that as well yeah so, I mean, it's been two and a half years in the making, <laughs> but yeah, so that's How exciting. So, yes, yeah, so I can share all that once we've done it. You've also got on your blog at the moment, I, I think I saw that you had like a list of or basically platforming different black female explorers as well. Yeah, yeah so I've, I've made a list of all of them and then I'm slowly, I've been quite busy recently, but slowly trying to write like a piece on each one because, again, they're just oh so amazing like everything they faced you know they didn't even face being a woman at the time they also had like the color of their skin to deal with so honestly reading about them it's so inspiring for sort of anyone I think so I've just been writing a bit up about each one um so yeah I'm going to try and continue doing that um for the foreseeable future as well Mm, definitely um a good alternative to dreaming about teeth falling out (laughs) and dinosaur eggs instead check out this blog if you are on instagram you can follow me at vandercanton that's w-a-n-d-a and my website is vandercanton.co.uk thanks for listening to three and a crowd with vanda and elise thank you so much for being here i am full of i don't even i'm trying to think of the words that i'm feeling um i think gratitude is what i want to um finish on I think the work that you've been doing is incredibly inspiring I think I love the way that you're uh promoting and uplifting other women I think that's really really important and I think that despite the self-criticism that we all tend to bear towards massive credit to you I think you're completely bad um I hope it sinks in (laughs) So don't forget to leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or wherever you're listening and that will help other people to find us, get involved in the conversation and we'll see you next time. 